Today's show is brought to you by ExpressVPN. Protect your online activity today and find out how you can get three months free at tryexpressvpn.com slash space. That's tryexpressvpn.com slash space for three months free with a one-year package. Visit tryexpressvpn.com slash space to learn more. 15 seconds. Guidance is internal. 10, 9... Ignition sequence start. Space nuts. Five, four, three, two. One, two, three, four, five, five, four, three, two, one. Space nuts. Astronauts report it feels good. Hello once again. Thank you for joining us on the Space Nuts podcast, the unsalted variety. Uh, this is episode uh, 152, and uh, my name's Andrew Dunkley. With me as always is Professor Fred Watson from the Department of Industry Innovation and science. I always forget the science part. Hello, Fred. Hi, Andrew. Two old salts together, eh? Yes, indeed. <laughs> yes, indeed. We've got a lot to talk about today. Some of it's um, ground we've been over before, but we, we things keep happening, so we need to keep updating, and that is that new gravity waves have been detected by LIGO, but there's a big question mark over uh, some of these because um, in one case, they don't know where it came from, which is a bit of a weird one. Uh, we also uh, hear from Scottish space pilot Dave uh, Mackay. Do you say Mackay or Mackay? He, he would be Dave Mackay. Mackay. Um, he's uh, back down to earth after his uh, Virgin test flight, which we did cover uh, a little while back. And uh, he's gone, I think he went back to his hometown to sort of say hello. He's a bit of a local hero, and not surprisingly. We've also got a couple of questions. These date back a little while, but we're doing some catch-up. Uh, we've had a question from Terry about the fabric of space being more rigid than steel. He can't get his head around it. And entangled party uh, particles uh, um, interacting with a black hole and the potential rise of dark matter. Uh, Jens from Sweden wants to th uh, investigate that uh, theory, and we will do so, Jens. So thank you for your questions. Uh, but first, Fred, let's get into these uh, new gravity waves that have been picked up. Uh, but, um, yeah, we, I think I read a description that suggests that um, they may be or maybe not what they think they are. It would be like trying to listen to someone whisper in a noisy cafe. Yes, that's right. <laughs> so, yeah, remember, I mean, that's a really good analogue because the LIGO detectors, and there are two of them uh, at opposite corners of mainland USA, um, they are designed to detect very, very small vibrations, effectively. Uh, and they're not vibrations of the ground or vibrations of the air, they're, they're vibrations of space. But the interesting thing about it is that they are right in the audio frequency range. The vibrations that LIGO is sensitive to are audible, except, of course, they're, they're at a, an, inten a, an intensity that is very, very much less than anything our ears could hear. But if you amplify the signal up, you know, you turn the, the vibration of space into a, a signal um, which can be amplified in, in an audio amplifier, then you can actually hear them. And what you hear is a kind of a, a chirp noise as the, the frequency goes up. And then at the end of it, the gravitational disturbance stops because it's all about 
about things, uh, you know, coming together, the ones that have been detected so far. Uh, so this whoop sound is very much what you get from LIGO. And LIGO has had an upgrade. Um, remember, it was back in 2015 when the first uh, gravitational waves were detected. Uh, but it, and it's been working since then. It's uh, actually technically called advanced LIGO because the original LIGO just wasn't sensitive enough to detect gravitational waves. So they worked on it again. Uh, this is uh, several years ago and, uh, and it now can do. Um, and so very soon after it was turned on, I think at the beginning of April, uh, after the upgrades, they got um, a great signal from uh, basically a neutron star collision. Um, so that's two neutron stars coming together. And unlike black holes merging, when neutron stars merge, you get uh, an electromagnetic signal. And there was an epic uh, case, uh, actually it was last year, when uh, pretty, I think it was 70 observatories throughout the world combined to detect these, this collision in gamma rays, X-rays, ultraviolet, <laughs> visible uh, infrared and radio waves. And Dogs and cats living together, it was a mess. <laughs> exactly. All of that. So, um, yeah, that's basically, uh, you know, it confirmed that gravitational waves do travel at the speed of light because um, the first gamma ray signal was uh, detected, I think it was 1.3 or 1.7 seconds after the after the gravitational burst. And that's the time delay you'd expect for two neutron stars coming together uh, to uh, to turn into uh, gamma rays. Um, so, uh, sorry, I'm kind of a little bit garbled there, but that is uh, what we found last year. Now, that sort of event has happened again. There's been another uh, neutron star uh, signal from LIGO. I am not sure about uh, whether the electromagnetic follow-up was done on those observations as well, but no doubt we'll find out when there's a major press release somewhere down the track. Mm. Uh, but what um, I think has excited people, and it's a little bit um, intriguing, uh, is that a, a day after that neutron star um, merger, LIGO it detected a signal uh, that was much less secure, if I can put it that way. Its intensity was not uh, as great. And this is what you were alluding to at the beginning, like trying to pick up a conversation in a crowded restaurant or coffee bar or whatever, somebody whispering. Mm. Um, the, the speculation is that this, for the first time, would be a collision between a black hole and a neutron star. And in fact, not so much a collision as uh, as a black hole swallowing up a neutron star. Sounds more likely. Uh, yeah, neutron stars tend to be much less massive than than black holes at a distance of 1.2 billion light years. Now that's getting near the limit of detectability with uh, with uh, LIGO. I think you're talking about you know 1. Point something billion light years as being the the limit. Um, so this is uh, very very excited. And uh, one of the um, members of the LIGO scientific collaboration is quoted is exactly the quotation that you've mentioned. We're especially curious about the April 26th candidate. Unfortunately, the signal is rather weak. It's like listening to somebody whisper a word in a busy cafe. It can be difficult to make out the word or even to be sure that the person whispered at all. Uh, and uh, he says it will take some time to reach a conclusion about this candidate. So what's really interesting is that, you know, they've actually 
released this now um, saying, yeah, we've got something interesting which we're working on, rather than holding it all in and building up to a big press release in a year's time or something like that. Um, not only that, but there's been another three black hole collisions detected by LIGO. So they're, you know, they're really firing on all cylinders here. And it's fantastic stuff. It's um, really opened up the, uh, you know, this new era of gravitational wave astronomy. It's almost starting to become routine when we, we pick up colliding black holes, as they expected it to do. They expected one a week, and they've kind of had one a week pretty well yeah. uh, since the new version uh, opened up. So now, exciting. These collisions cause a gravitational wave, and I, I imagine that as it moves through the fabric of space, it dissipates, and by the time it gets to us, it's just a ripple. Yeah. What would it be like at the point of impact? I mean, if you were there, yeah, what, you, yeah. what would it that would be, be like? Um, uncomfortable, I think, is the word. Uh, <laughs> That's probably an understatement. <laughs> I mean, if you're, you know, so so you're standing near a black hole, and uh, ignore the fact that the black hole's trying to shred you up already, and this gravitational wave goes past where space is expanding and contracting. <laughs> Can you imagine what that would do to your digestion? Mm. It would be all a bit grim. Um, I, in fact, it might, uh, you know, it might not might not be that dramatic. I. Uh, I've never looked at the issues of what happens if you stand next to a, a collision emanate, uh, emitting gravitational waves. I mean, all the other stuff uh, would would fry you anyway, probably. But, um, yeah, I, I think the distances that we're detecting these things are quite near enough, thank you. Uh, it's That's it's all very, point. very good, yeah. Now, you said uh, that these things make a sound that we can't hear. We have to use electronics to be able to pick up the noise. Could a dog hear it? No, oh no, it's far. You know that. Well, uh, well, yes, they could once it's amplified into an audio signal. Um, it, uh, it's it, it really interesting. The the high frequency cutoff is not in that um, ultrasound range that you you know you expect animals to be able to pick up. Uh, it's 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 basically middle A or something like that. It's a it's a fairly moderate note it's certainly not in the ultrasound range so a dog could pick it up because they've got the same audio frequency range as we have but plus that uh, ultrasound level at the top of the frequency uh, regime okay. so the answer is yes uh, but but they'd still need it, all the signal to go through all the they electronics need to and process it through doggy tronics to yeah. be able to hear it so okay, i understand all right yes of course and doggy yeah. As, as always, we um, we knew we'd be talking about this again because it's uh, such a, a new and uh, exciting discovery, and uh, here we are. And I imagine there'll be more to come on gravity waves. You're listening to Space Nuts. Andrew Dunkley here with Fred Watson. Now let's take a little break and find out more about our sponsor. Express VPN, rated number one by Tech Radar. Uh, this is the one I use. I've been using it for a couple of years and I love it. When I joined Express VPN, they were, they were brand new, uh, new to the market, but uh, I read a lot of reviews and did a lot of comparisons. And there was just something about their, their business model that I particularly liked. And a couple of years down the track, honestly, can't complain. Their interface is very easy to use. Their, their service is second to none. Uh, I've had to contact them a couple of times about um, certain things that I wanted to do, and they were brilliant. So you may be wondering why I do need a VPN at all. It's all about privacy. Uh, do you really want big tech companies, governments, and others knowing 
what's going on with your online activity. Even if you're having nothing to hide, it just feels downright creepy. Uh, I think you'll agree. And governments are getting more and more interested in what you're doing every day. And so, yeah, protecting your privacy is what VPN is all about. And how often do you uh, run across websites that you want to get information from only to find that they're geo-blocked? This is becoming an increasing problem, but ExpressVPN solves that problem for you. Uh, now, if you go to our special URL, you'll see quite a list of things this service can help you with, things you may never have thought of before. As I say, it's the one I use, secure, fast, and it just works. Uh, so protect yourself online today and find out more about how to get three months free at tryexpressvpn.com slash space. That's T-R-Y-E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash space for three months free with a one year package. Try expressvpn.com slash space to learn more and you'll find the link details in the show notes and on our website. Now... Back to the show. Zero G and I feel fine. Space nuts. Two, one, release, release, release. Fire. Fire. It's an incredible experience. You know, I can tell that from just uh, flying it uh, as well. Um, but on the last flight, you know, having had someone in the cabin to unstrap, uh, float around, uh, move to the various windows, uh, see what it's like in the vehicle as it's rotating, maneuvering in space. Um, we're very excited about uh, the results of that flight. Welcome to Space Scotland. Yes, there he is. Uh, he is a space pilot. He's from Scotland. His name is Dave Mackay, and uh, that was him talking about his uh, test flight in uh, the Virgin Galactic uh, craft, which uh, looks like it's doing some amazing things, as is Dave, Fred. Indeed, yeah. Oh, and I must say uh, uh, that audio courtesy of the BBC, so we thank them for that because uh, yeah, they do some good stuff in their science department at the BBC. Indeed, they do absolutely. Uh, as does Dave in his um, in his cockpit on uh, space plane to the Virgin Galactic craft that he uh, that he flew. Um, actually, it's called Unity, I think, if I remember rightly. Uh, the um, so we talked about this flight, and um, you put your foot in your mouth when you described yes, the person with the wrong gender being beside them, which was very entertaining, I have to say. Um, but Dave, of course, the pilot, and the first time a Scotsman has gone into what um, I think in the military is called uh, the limit of space. It's 50 miles, uh, which is some rather more than you know, it's 80 kilometres. They, they reach 90 kilometres in that flight, which is almost the Kármán the limit. The Kármán limit is uh, 100 kilometres, and that's where it's actually where the air is so thin that nothing you would do with fins would actually make any difference. That's what defines it, basically, uh, the, uh, the, the limit of space. So, uh, Dave Mackay, uh, from a tiny little town in Scotland called Helmsdale. Uh, it's in the Highlands in uh, Western Scotland. And Dave has a very, um, it's slightly modified, but un un uh, unmistakably a Highland accent there uh, with these comments. Um, because I was educated in Scotland at the University of St Andrews and then again at Edinburgh, um, I, uh, I've a lot of my fellow students came from the Highlands and Islands district of West 
Western Scotland. And their accents are very different from lowland Scotland. And, um, you know, Dave's got exactly that lovely lilt that a lot of my friends and colleagues had. So it was very nice to hear it. So what did he do? Well, he piloted the space plane up to that height of 90 kilometres, uh, came back. They had a, a person on board to test out the passenger experience, which is what's, uh, what happened. But um, then he uh, he's recently been back to the little town where he grew up and he's talked to all the kids in the local school, which must be completely mind-blowing for them. Um, Absolutely inspiring. And the thing that delighted me is that when Dave uh, made that flight, he took with him the book he had as a child that inspired him uh, to think about space as a, a career. It's a ladybird book called Exploring Space. Now, um, ladybird books were uh, just a little bit late for my childhood, but certainly my children's childhood. They played a very big role, and ladybird books were, well, they occupied many shelves of our bookcase uh, at home when, when my two daughters were growing up. So uh, Dave studied aeronautical engineering in Glasgow. He is... Uh, now they're Virgin Galactic's chief pilot, and that uh, step uh, that they made in February is a real, a really big step forward. Um, what I just wanted to add as a bit of a postscript to this story, Andrew, is that, um, as you know, last week I was in Kuala Lumpur at, at a conference that had as its theme space medicine, and I was setting some of the physical background for that. But um, one of the um, people that I talked to a lot there was an astronaut, uh, Michael Barrett, who has flown to the space station twice. He's done two missions with some very interesting people along with him. Uh, but what impressed me was the um, response with which he spoke about uh, Virgin Galactic and their endeavours to make uh, space tourism as safe as aviation is. Uh, very strongly supportive. He emphasised that Virgin Galactic works closely with NASA uh, and, you know, many of the procedures that they follow are very, very similar. So that should be reassuring to anybody who's thinking of outlaying a couple hundred thousand dollars on a Virgin Galactic trip. Um, I have currently saved up $23.50 for mine. Uh, and I think you've got even less than that, haven't you? I'm, I'm saving a dollar a week towards it, Australian, so that will take me 400,000 weeks. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> don't hold your breath. But it's a good it's a good news story, and it's just delightful. You don't have to look far on the BBC to find the rest of that audio and uh, pictures of uh, of uh, Dave Mackay uh, visiting his hometown. Yes, wonderful. And they uh, they really I know they're behind schedule. They really wanted to have space tourism up and running by now, but you can't. Um, be, you, you can't shortcut safety and uh, Richard Branson uh, being the kind of bloke he is is not going to um, muck around with this, he wants it to work, he wants it to be right. Exactly. Mm. So we'll watch with interest and uh, who knows what the next nationality in space will be, Fred. <laughs> yep, uh, well it, that's right. Uh, we, we Any will tips? Is anybody sort of thinking, well we, we should send up a Kazakhstani oh they've probably already been the, I don't know. The, the, yeah, they fly all the time. No, look, the, the first um, proper passenger will actually be Richard Branson himself, uh, with, I think, his son, if I remember rightly. Uh, he's got the seat on the first commercial flight, so uh, he will, you know, represent um, <laughs> uh, uh, quite a lot of the English-speaking world, I guess. I, I, I imagine so. But that would be a good endorsement because he's testing his own product. So Absolutely. That's, that's, that's right. the way to sell it.
Definitely. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. All right. Uh, and well done to Dave McKay. I can't wait to see where he goes to next. Uh, you're listening to Space Nuts here with Andrew Dunkley and, of course, Fred Watson. Okay, we checked all four systems and King with a go. Space Nuts. Now, before we get on to some questions, uh, just a reminder that we are now on YouTube. I mean, we're not doing uh, video, not yet. We might do that sometime down the track, although I think that's pretty scary for you. And uh, But if you put Space Nuts Podcast in your YouTube search, you should be able to find all of our episodes on YouTube these days, uh, if that's your preferred platform. Um, terrific. And there are four people, Fred, that we have to send out a big hello to because we have four patrons on our Patreon account. Uh, so these are people who have volunteered to um, basically, you know, help fund our podcast, which is fantastic. So if you are someone who might be interested in doing that, um, we're not going to tell you to. We're just going to put it out there as a possibility. Uh, Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash space nuts is where you need to go. Patreon dot com slash space nuts. Um, and there are different values. You know, you can put in a dollar and help me get on the Virgin Galactic plane or, you know, whatever you like. Uh, now, Fred, we've got uh, we've got some questions. And this first one comes from Terry Johnson. G'day, Terry. Uh, hi, gents. Uh, hang for the show each week and can't wait for each episode. That's lovely. Was listening to a past episode about gravitational waves, which we've already talked about in this episode, as it turns out. Professor Fred mentioned that space fabric was a billion times more rigid than steel. Please explain. Uh, don't get that at all. Sorry. Uh, it's doing my head in. <laughs> That's a good way of describing how confusing that sounds. So, um, yeah, uh, I guess we need to explain this, Fred. <laughs> um, well, it does everybody's head in, you know, because... Um, well, we, everyone thinks of space as emptiness. And, yes, that's and right. And you float yeah. around in it. So how can it be more rigid than steel by a well, billion times? Yeah, so <clears throat> maybe... Um, and and uh, I should just add... Perhaps to your intro, that um, it's a couple of months since uh, since Terry sent this question. So uh, uh, forgive us for taking so long to get to it, but it's a really interesting question. Um, I think what you have to do is think about space as a kind of framework. Um, and I I don't know the, the the way I used to try and explain it to people was. Can you think of those sort of climbing frames that you find in in kids? parks where where the swings and uh, you know and, and slides and all of that stuff there's often uh, climbing frames which are like a, sort of a cubic structure with with basically uh, just struts holding everything together uh, and that's kind of how I think of space and <laughs> um, as a not how I think of it. <laughs> no, well, funnily enough, it's probably not how most people think of it, but I know, yes, I'm, I'm slightly different. But the point about space is it's not rigid like that, that it can bend. Um, so if you imagine, you know, that, that, that framework structure uh, and 
what makes it bend is mass. Uh, if you put a mass near there, then it's going to bulge slightly. And I can easily then imagine this climbing frame, uh, you know, with maybe a large child on it that's that's sort of bending slightly. And and that's what space does. Even though we think we think of space as being nothing, it's not nothing. There is a a kind of coordinate system framework in there, and it changes depending on the presence of matter. Um, I I think I probably said. Uh, not that it's a billion times more rigid than steel, but many billions of times more rigid than steel. Wow. Uh, because uh, I, I don't have the exact number to hand, but it is. And steel, we can we can imagine because that's a you know a lump of steel is easy to get your head around, and if you bang that, it's whilst it feels rigid, it feels like a solid thing. Um, if you bang it with a hammer, it's going to ring, and that's telling you that the, there are vibrations going through it, which tells you that it has a level of flexibility. It's very rigid, is steel, but space is even more rigid, many billions of times more rigid. Uh, and if you bang space, which you can do with the odd black hole collision and things of that sort, then you will set it ringing. And that's more or less what happens with these gravitational waves. And just actually just picking up a point, I'm coming from Pedant's Corner here, Andrew. Um, they're not gravity waves. They're gravitational waves. Uh, gra gravity waves are things that happen in clouds. They're caused by atmosphere fake turbulence just just in case somebody phones in and says you guys don't know what you're talking about because you're talking about gravity oh, that happens all the time I, I, i'm the one that has to go through these emails i i insulate you fred oh, that's i'm good. the one that cops it <laughs> no, seriously, we don't we don't get much like that but uh no. you know we, we get questions or we get queries or we get observations yeah. sometimes yeah. great photos we got a whole batch of great photos from uh, pilots cockpits the other day which yes, uh, that's right. were we did amazing indeed. um not to uh, loosen yeah, clouds and storm clouds and all sorts yeah. of stuff it was fantastic uh we love that but um yeah it's uh it, it seems that Whenever we talk about something, it, it does prompt people to wonder about what else there is to know about that thing. And yeah. and yeah. like we never, when we started, we never envisaged doing a question answer session. But it does seem to um, to, to work, and it, it, it and gives us an opportunity to talk about things that people want to talk want us to talk about, yeah, exactly. and yeah. opens up all those. Um, all those doors, so terrific. Um, so Terry, thank you for your question. Hopefully that um, that that monkey bar theory. What we, I call them monkey bars as a kid. Yeah, that's that's right. That's the name I was looking for. Monkey bar theory. Um, yeah. There you go. So that if you've got a really big fat kid that you put on a monkey <laughs> monkey bar, um, that that that's a demonstration of the fabric of space and how strong it is. There's nothing wrong with fat kids. Andrew. No, of course not. <laughs> of course not. I was just being. Well, I wasn't. I was being awful. I was being awful. I was horrible. Let's move on. Uh, now, uh, this next qu next question comes from Jens uh, in Sweden. Uh, he says, "So I've been thinking, if one or two entangled particles goes to a place without time, like a black hole, could this give rise to what we call dark matter? Is there some research on this? Woo! Hey, that's a tough one." It's a good, it's a really good one. So let me just read the important bit out. Um, if one of two entangled particles goes to a place without time, like a black hole, so that in itself is really the answer to the question, <laughs> because entanglement suggests. So let, let's let's just backtrack to he's, explain. He's going to tell you it can't happen, Jens. <laughs> That's what he's going to say. 
it cannot happen. <laughs> no, that, I'm not going to say that at all. Um, the, uh, so entanglement is when you've got two quantum particles, which usually means things that are very small. And let's think of photons of light, for example, particles of light. Um, two of them that maybe were emitted by the same laser. And the state of being in entanglement means that they behave like a single quantum particle. And you can actually separate them physically, and yet they maintain this entanglement. They maintain this behavior like a single particle. But if you look at one or prod it or something, have a look at it, then it will become disentangled and the other one will be instantly as well, no matter how far apart they are. So entanglement seems to defy the laws of physics in that you can do something to one particle and the other one will respond, uh, even though they might be, you know, a, a solar system apart, they will respond simultaneously. I, I'm, that, I can't, that's doing my head in. Yeah, it does mine in as well. And it does most people who, who uh, study quantum physics in. So what it means is that entanglement, some, some quantum physicists believe that entanglement is revealing to us that there is another layer of reality beneath what we understand as space and time. There is a layer of reality that is independent of space and time. And that kind of fits in with relativity as well. Uh, relativity and quantum theory seem to sit on top of this, whatever basis it is, that says there's no space and time. And entanglement is one of the reasons why people believe that. So you're already in a, in a, a, a you know, if you're, if you're an entangled particle, you are already in a regime where time does not operate in the same way that it does in the normal world. So um, that is, you don't really need to be inside a black hole for that to happen. Um, okay, could that give rise to what we call dark matter? I doubt it. I think this is probably um, much more in the realms of the physics of the universe rather than the physics of what is in the universe, which is what dark matter is. We know dark matter is some kind of subatomic particle, so it exists within a framework of space and time, although we haven't found it yet. And I think what we're talking about here, the entanglement, is, is at a layer below that. Now, it is possible that some phenomenon to do with whatever this spaceless, timeless regime is might uh, reveal itself as looking like dark matter. But um, and, and it, I wouldn't be surprised if people are actually working on this, because this is very much the kind of thinking that the, the subatomic particle physicists, particularly the ones who are looking at this theory called supersymmetry, supersymmetry being uh, hidden particles, uh, massive hidden particles, uh, and they're hidden by perhaps being in different dimensions, perhaps being independent of time and space. We don't know. But um, so the question that Jens asks is, uh, is there some research on this? I bet you anything there is. Um, I'm not aware of it and I'm not across it, but it might be interesting to have a look and find out. It's the kind of thing that you could you could um, Google um, or whatever other favorite search engine you use. Look up timeless, spaceless physics and see where it takes you. Yeah, you never know. Um, they might have an answer question better than they we might. can but better than I've done. <laughs> going back to the entangled particles so you say if you prod one and it untangles the other one squillions and billions of miles away will untangle as well so it would be fair to say that if one of those entangled particles got sucked into a black hole the other one would be released from the entanglement yes I think that's true so, yeah because yes. and, and the reason is that um no you're quite right so what 
when I said uh, prodding, um, what I should have said in physics terms is it interacted with its surroundings, uh, because that's what seems to preserve the quantum state, this peculiar state where things can be right way up and upside down simultaneously or where they can be in two places at the same time. Uh, that's called quantum superposition. And it only seems to exist if you isolate a particle from its surroundings, which is very difficult to do, but it can be done in a physics lab. Um, so uh, if you throw one, one of the entangled particles into a black hole, it will definitely interact with its surroundings, which means that the other one will become disentangled. Wow. Okay. I actually figured something out. You did. Incredible. You're, you're a genius, Dunkley. That's why I talk to you. <laughs> I doubt that very much. <laughs> oh, dear. Uh, Jens, thank you for the question. We appreciate it. And hopefully uh, you've got some insight into your theory. Um, uh, but, yeah, it opens up all sorts of possibilities when you're starting to talk about uh, space-time fabric of. I mean, these there might be particles that are part of the fabric of space and time, and they are together and separate all at the same time across the entire universe. I mean, it's kind of like if you we can figure that out, we could probably That's travel it. vast distances <laughs> without even blinking. I think we're entangled by, um, by space nuts. Yes, yes. <laughs> Which is definitely dimensionless physics, I think. Mean. Mm. Anyway, uh, I, I got a feeling that uh, more questions will be prompted by that uh, maybe discussion. So. <laughs> I, I thank you for sending in the questions. We're trying to get through the backhaul of them, uh, starting at the bottom of the list. So if you sent one in recently, we'll get to that in 2021. <laughs> uh, thank you, Fred, as always. Great fun. Yeah, good to talk to you, Andrew. Take care and we'll speak again next week. We will indeed. Professor yep. Fred Watson, astronomer, and from me, Andrew Dunkley, thank you as always. Uh, lovely to be able to put this together for you and thanks for all the uh, wonderful uh, emails and messages that you send us. Keep them coming and we'll catch you next time on Space Nuts. Space Nuts. You've been listening to the Space Nuts podcast. Subscribe to the full podcast on iTunes and Stitcher or your favourite podcast distributor. This has been another quality podcast production from Sites.com.